Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. A couple of things I want to mention. Number one, um, Laura mentioned, I need to tell you what we're getting for the display. So when we talk about the Alexandrian text, we have Codex Sinaiticus. I need to get Codex Vaticanus to tell the story, and that's a very expensive facsimile. So that's what we're tracking down for that. So that's a blessing. And then I want us to pray for uh, Mackenzie's husband, Josh Spicer. Where's Mackenzie at? She's still in here? He's still in Syria, right? He's in Iraq right now. So we want to pray for Josh as he's uh, being as he's deployed right now. So let's be in. Why don't we take a minute right now? Pray for Josh. Lord, thank you so much for Josh's testimony, Mackenzie's faithfulness. And Father, um, I'm thankful that he's willing to help. And so, Father, I pray that you'll protect him and the other soldiers that are with him right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 1. My message this morning is details matter. Details matter. And as we finish up chapter 1 of the book of Acts, there's only two or three more messages, I think, and then we move on to chapter 2. You don't want to miss next Sunday. Lord willing, we're going to be in the part of this chapter where Peter stands up and starts preaching, and he talks about how Judas left, how Judas betrayed Christ. And so we're going to learn some some genuinely profound things based on the life of Judas and what happened. So you do not want to miss that. How many of you know believers that have walked away? Why does that happen? What happens in that person's life when that happens? That's what next week's message is about. And I've actually thought about this for years, and I don't think I've ever preached this topic. So uh, be sure and invite people and plan to be here next Sunday morning. Uh, Wednesday night, in our Wednesday night Bible study, we're doing what the Bible says about. We're looking all through the scriptures on different topics. This Wednesday night is what does the Bible say about drinking alcohol. What does the Bible say about alcohol? That's tonight, on, or that's this Wednesday night. All right, let's look at Acts chapter 1, and let's look at verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Lord, help us as we study this passage to learn the significance of these details. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you know that uh, we have looked at the principle of, of full mention. We've looked at the principle of measured words. And that means there are no mistakes in the Bible, but neither are there any words that are superfluous. There's nothing in your Bible that's extra, that doesn't need to be there. I've listened to my own preaching um, 
I try not to do that very much because I get discouraged. But I've listened to my own preaching, and often I think I could cut out about 20% of those words, and the message would be better. And all the people said, I knew you were going to say that. Okay. But it's just true, and I don't know if you can tell, I've been trying to be better with that. You don't have to worry about that with the Bible. And so with some of these details, we might just look past them. And so I want us to look at some of these details that God has given us in this text, and I think we're going to see some amazing things. So let's look at verse 8. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, where are they? Verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. So Jesus Christ, as he is giving them their, his last message, you're going to be witnesses, where you're going to be witnesses. Last week we looked at that. In Jerusalem. Terry in Jerusalem. That's where it's all going to start. And in all Judea. That's where they begin to spread with the persecution in Acts chapter 8 under Saul, who became Paul. Then Samaria, that's the first place that they go to, is Samaria. And that's where Philip goes to preach. And then Philip is sent to the Ethiopian eunuch. And as we saw in Matthew chapter 12, Ethiopia is identified in Matthew chapter 12 as the uttermost parts of the earth. So every one of those details is fulfilled. Are there any more details in this text that are going to be fulfilled? Why the Mount of Olives? Why did Jesus choose the Mount of Olives for this? There are two reasons. The first is prophetic, and the second, I think, will be a real encouragement to us today. So let's look at the prophetic part of it. So again, Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So I want you to notice something about his ascension. Last week, we looked at the ascension, and wasn't that fun to see all of the things that the ascension signifies? But here's something that we didn't address, that the ascension is the return of Christ in reverse order. That's what the ascension is. He's saying, okay, let's, let's make sure that, that, am I just making this up? Verse 11. So this is these two angels, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So the, he, he's saying, this is a model. What you're seeing right here is the way that Jesus Christ is going to return. It is the reverse. So let's begin looking at it. What is the first thing that we notice? Verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud received him into heaven. Now, I made passing reference to this last week, so put your marker here in the book of Acts. Let's go through our Bibles, and let's try to get this idea of the cloud. Go to Psalm 24. I had a chance to preach with the expositor John Phillips and if I have time, I may do some John Phillips stuff at the end of this. But he preached Psalm 24 in one of the, the times that I was with him. Oh, it was, it was just unbelievable. But let's look at this text. Chapter, uh, Psalm 24, look at verse 7. 
Lift up ye your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Oh man, what is this? It's his ascension. The King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. But what's that last word? So Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. And the gates were opened. And Jesus Christ was received. Remember what Jesus prayed in John 17. And now, O Father... Glorify me with the glory that I had with thee before the world was. Jesus had laid aside that glory. On the Mount of Transfiguration, his apostles got to see a little bit of that glory. I heard someone say uh, not very long ago that on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus revealed his, the full glory of his deity. Well, if that was true, the whole world would have ceased to exist. Because that's how he destroys the world. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, Revelation chapter 20, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there's found no room for them. We haven't begun to see Christ's glory. We haven't begun. Sometimes we say, show me your glory. Show me your glory as Moses did. So what did he do? God hid him in the cleft of the rock and put his hand over it. And he got to see his hind parts as he went by. He got to see just a small smidgen of his glory. What is that? That's God revealing himself, but it's also God protecting a man who is still a sinner from the blazing righteousness of his white hot glory. We're going to see that. And, And you know why we'll be able to see it? Because we will no longer have these bodies. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we see him, we will be like him My body will change in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. We are, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. How wonderful is that? We are going to change. That is coming. That change is coming. We can see his glory. And the good news is, when this happens, who is this king of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, who returns as the Lord of hosts, Strong in battle. Remember, any time you see that phrase, the Lord of hosts, that's Jesus coming with his army. And who's that army? Anybody saved today? You saved? You just enlisted. You are in that army. Man, I can't wait until the day when I can see Christ and I am standing in a completely sinless state. Now, spiritually, I'm in that sinless state. I love it. I love it. That I stand before Christ sinless today because Jesus has washed my sin away. But in me that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. I am a sinner and I can't stand it. Y'all get sick of your flesh. It's going to change. It's going to change. And what is the ascension? The ascension is the, the, the return of Christ in reverse order. So we see that Jesus Christ, this king of glory, was entered into heaven. What happened there? Look at Psalm 45. Psalm 45, look at verse 7. Look at verse 6. Thy throne, O God, 
is forever and ever a scepter. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Now remember, in Hebrews chapter 1, the, 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 the writer of Hebrews refers to Jesus here, that that's the Father talking to the Son. Thou lovest righteousness and hated, hatest wickedness. Therefore God thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Look at Matthew chapter 24. So remember, he has been exalted to the throne. What does that look like? Matthew 24, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. So when is this going to happen? Immediately after the tribulation. Okay. Shall the sun be darkened? And the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man. Oh, look at this. Coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So it appears that the throne of God is surrounded with a cloud, clouds, and when Jesus returns, he went to the clouds, but there is a cloud that will accompany him with his return. So, let's, let's go on. Look at chapter Matthew chapter 26 and verse 64. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. So you're going to start to see a pattern here. One, we never want to miss the throne that he is now in his Father's throne. On earth he will have his own throne. Right now, he's in his father's throne. He will have his own throne. And there is something about the clouds that is included almost every time it talks about where he is. Now, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Whenever I quote this verse, I can never quite get the clouds right. You all notice that? 1 Timothy chapter 4. Wade doesn't listen at all, so he's never noticed that. First <laughs> Thessalonians chapter 4. Isn't it just like the little guy to pick on the biggest guy in the church? First Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse 17. Well, you've got to have verse 16, right? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So when we go up to meet the Lord, it's in the clouds. It's in the clouds. Now, this is really important because people won't see him yet. The clouds will still obscure him from the world at the rapture. All right, the world won't see him yet. That's not the appearing because he is not seen. So that's not the appearing yet. All right, now let's 
Let's go to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. The book of Daniel is such an amazing book of the Bible. So remember, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, to give none offense neither to the Jew nor to the Gentile nor to the church of God. So to understand your Bible, you have to understand there are three people groups in the Bible. The Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. Adam was a Gentile. Everyone was a Gentile up until Abraham. From Abraham on, there were Jews, I'm sorry, there were Gentiles and Jews. The church of God did not begin until the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the indwelling Holy Spirit. So from, the, from Pentecost on, you have the, the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. God wanted each of those individual groups to have an understanding of end times. It's very important. So for the Jew, he gave the book of Ezekiel. For the Gentile, he gave the book of Daniel. He even had a Gentile king write a chapter of the book of Daniel in a, in a Gentile language, Aramaic. So the, the, for the Jew, Ezekiel, for the, for the Gentile, Daniel, and for the church of God, the book of Revelation, let he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So for each of these groups, God has a book of prophecy. Here to the Gentiles, God wants them to know how is Jesus Christ going to return. So let's look at Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. I saw... In the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. Now stop. One like the Son of Man. Remember how important like and as are. So as pastor, I need to lead as one that must give account. And I'll hear guys say all the time, I've got to stand before God and give an account for that. No, no, that's not what the Bible says. As one that must give account. Man, I am so thankful that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Amen? And yet I'm supposed to serve as if I'm going to have to answer for it. Right? Notice here it says, like the Son of Man. Why does it say like the Son of Man? Because Jesus at this point didn't have a body yet. That's awesome. And remember, the Son of Man is Jesus in his humanity. Jesus in carnated in flesh. All right, so back to verse 13. So it says, And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and they came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. So coming in the clouds of heaven. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Look at verse 7. I'll tell you something that's fun, too. I have um, this Bible software that I use. It's called Logos Bible Software. And it's got, I don't know, five or 8,000 books or something in this software. And uh, I can program in my text, and then I've chosen the specific commentaries that I, that I like reading. And I can just go from one commentary to the next on the, on the same text. It's, it's a very helpful Bible study tool for me. And it's so fun that regardless of the commentator's theological perspective, as I study this, what I'm sharing with you today on, on this, the clouds, all of them point this out. 
It didn't, doesn't matter if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture or if you believe in amillennialism. They all understand that when Jesus Christ comes, it is, it is in the clouds. And, of course, we believe in the pre-tribulation, pre-millennial return of Christ. And all the other people will catch up <laughs> when it happens. Right? So, Revelation chapter 1, and look at verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him... And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Hold your place here in Revelation. Go to Zechariah chapter 14. Second to the last book of the Old Testament. Some of you, your Bible still falls open to Zechariah. We were in it for so long. All right, Zechariah chapter 14, look at verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle." And his feet shall stand in that day. Remember that day. It's the day he returns. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is, for Jeru- which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. So, when Jesus Christ returns in clouds... It is to the Mount of Olives. So what are we seeing? We're seeing that the ascension of Jesus Christ is the return of Christ in reverse. What a wonderful prophecy that is. Now go back to Revelation. Look at Revelation 14. Look at verse 1. And I looked... And lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him, an hundred, forty, and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping. So what do harpers do? They harp with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts, and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. This is so fun. This is a special rapture of the 144,000. They're redeemed from the earth, just as Jesus Christ redeems us from the earth before this happens. Verse 4. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These are the redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and unto the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And look at this. Worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea 
and the fountains of waters. What is happening when this happens? Jesus Christ is reclaiming the earth and he comes back to the earth in clouds and every eye will see him and they will worship him. This is the reverse of what happened on the Mount of Olives. Look at verse 14. And I looked and behold, a white cloud and upon the cloud, one sat like unto the son of man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. Why does it say like the son of man here? So Jesus Christ, when he ascended to heaven, remember we said last week, he took his humanity with him. He took his humanity with him, but he's also revealed in his glory. So what are we going to see? All of that description of him, the white hair and the white raiment and all of those things. The people who knew Christ on earth will recognize him, but he will be different. You'll see his glory. Wow, what an amazing thing. So this is a prophetic, uh, this is the two reasons for the Mount of Olives is his ascension is in, uh, it's the return in reverse order. So he's coming back visibly as he went up. He's coming back with clouds. He's coming back with angels. Two angels announced, just as angels announced his, his uh, conception, angels announced his birth, angels came and ministered to him in the garden, and angels accompanied his ascension. They took him to heaven, and then angels announced that he would come back, and angels will come with him. And the place, of course, is the Mount of Olives. That's kind of cool, isn't that? Just amazing the way all that ties together. But there's another reason for the Mount of Olives. So one is his prophecy. The second is his passion. You know that there are three times in the Bible where Jesus Christ wept. Three times. Each time it was on the Mount of Olives. It's an amazing thing. Let's look at this. The first time is, look at Luke chapter 19. Verse 41. This is right before his triumphal entry. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round about on round about thee on every side, round and keep thee in on every side. So this is this is the partial fulfillment of that was in AD seventy when when Vespasian Titus destroyed the city of Jerusalem. But the ultimate fulfillment will be what we read in Zechariah chapter fourteen, when the nations of the earth come around and they destroy Jerusalem. And then does Jesus return and fight for them. But here, as Jesus Christ is on the Mount of Olives overlooking the city as he's about to enter in, and they'll say, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We see that that's a fulfillment of the Psalms. And the day, they missed that day. That day was specifically, that calendar day was specifically prophesied in Daniel chapter 9. And they missed their day. And so now blindness in part has happened unto the Jews until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, according to Romans chapter 11. They've been blinded. They've been blinded. Now, individually, Jews can get saved, but as a nation, they've been blinded. So the first time that Jesus Christ weeps, that's listed, here it is on the Mount of Olives. Look at the second time. 
John 11. When I was in Christian school, and you'd have to memorize a verse, this was always the one I chose. Jesus wept. How many of you can memorize that verse? Okay. When is this? This is, at the, this is in Bethany. Where's Bethany? Bethany is on the slope of the Mount of Olives. And this is where Jesus Christ came and saw his friend Lazarus. And why did he weep? Because of the faithlessness of the people. And Jesus Christ said, Lazarus, come forth and raised him from the dead. Isn't that wonderful? But this is the other time that Jesus Christ wept. So he wept because of the faithlessness of the people. He wept because of the faithlessness of his disciples and the sorrow that he saw among his uh, followers. And then look at Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Talking about Christ, verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, what's it say? With strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. What a what? First of all, isn't that just beautiful literature, the way that that's written? And second, it's beautiful because it's talking about what Jesus did. And Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says strong crying. So So Bethany is on one side of the Mount of Olives. At the top of the Mount of Olives, Jesus weeps over the city. On the other side of the Mount of Olives, as he's coming into Jerusalem, is the Garden of Gethsemane. And he weeps and prays there. And what happens as he weeps and prays? The ministers, come, the, the angels come and minister unto him in that moment. So if we understand that the ascension is the, the, the prophecy of the return of Christ in reverse, and if we understand that this place is where Jesus Christ in his passion and in his tears wept over the, the, his, the people, what do we learn? What do we learn? That when Jesus Christ left from the Mount of Olives, he fulfilled all of our sorrow. He fulfilled all of our suffering. And when we go up with him in the rapture, there's no sorrow there. There's no longer suffering there. Isn't that wonderful what he did? The Bible says, surely he hath borne our griefs. Surely he's carried our sorrows. Where did he carry our sorrows and our griefs? He took them with him to heaven. And so now what are we to do? Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, how many of you understand no, no, said it wrong. How many of you are still experiencing sorrow and pain in this life? In this world, you the Bible says, in this world, you will have tribulation. A man's days are full of trouble. Full of trouble. That's what the Bible says. But man, we hear a lot of preaching about standing before the judgment seat of Christ and a a movie screen will be up there 
and every bad thing you ever did will be shown on that screen. How many of you have, be honest, how many of you have heard something like that? How many of you are glad that that is not true? Some of you have thought ugly things about me while I'm preaching right now. And God give me a word of prophecy. I'm going to tell you what all those are right now. No. Listen. I mentioned earlier, how many of you get tired of your flesh? But ask in a different way right now. How many of you recognize regularly your own human frailty? Right? Um, I know that I'm supposed to love that person. I know that I'm supposed to pray for my enemies. I know that I am supposed to forgive. Uh, uh, Some people don't struggle with resentment. That's not in their nature. Others, that it, it's like they sweat resentment. It's, it's just who they are. It's their nature. The, the, Lydia didn't like bananas as a baby. Who doesn't like bananas? Even the banana uh, baby food. Didn't You don't like bananas either, Maureen? I knew you are weird. But it... <laughs> You didn't pick it, right? You didn't pick not liking liking bananas. And you didn't pick the resentful nature that you have or the, the envy that you have or the covetousness that you have. Did Be honest. How many of you, I just listed something that's probably your besetting sin. Would you hold up your hand? That one of those is your besetting sin, right? God gave me the gift of criticism. Uh, you know, the, the, the recipe for frustration is I am a perfectionist with ADD. <laughs> so it never works. I didn't pick any of that. I did not pick any of that. And yet, in this life, I will have to deal with all of those problems that I have until I die. And the grace of God helps us The Word of God helps us to know how to overcome our own human frailty. God knew my human frailties when He called me into the ministry, when He saved me and called me in the ministry. God knew your human frailties when He saved you and called you into the ministry. And He gave you this ministry of reconciliation, as if God by us was saying, be ye reconciled to God. That's the ministry of reconciliation that He's given to all of us. And in that, we will have loss, we will have sorrow, people that we invest in the most will leave the easiest, you'll have friends in the ministry that walk away from the Lord or walk away from the church, you'll have that pain, you will bear that sorrow and that pain, but not in heaven. It's gone. Some of this this strange preaching that we hear, when Jesus Christ rose and he conquered death, suffering, and the grave, it is no more in heaven. Praise God for that. Praise God. The three times on the Mount of Olives, he bore it. Uh, James Knox said, he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Why would I go to heaven and find it there? Isn't that good? I am so thankful that Jesus Christ's ascension 
is the reverse of his return. We learn some things about that, the way it's going to happen. I'm so thankful that the three times Jesus wept, it was at the Mount of Olives. And when Jesus Christ comes back, last comment I'll make. Let's all stand together. Last comment I'll make on it is this. I have always been a strong justice person, even as a child. That's not fair. That's not right. How many of you know that in this world, you will never find ultimate justice? Right? Now, of course, we need to be thankful for that. Because if all of us got justice, we would go to hell. Amen? And yet, there are things that are unjust. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? He that sits in the heaven shall laugh. He shall have them in derision. That's what the Bible says. But right now, it's a bummer. You know, these world leaders get together and they, they imagine vain things and they find ways to control people. And it seems like in this life, there's not going to be justice. Well, notice what happens when Jesus returns to the Mount of Olives. It splits in two. The king of righteousness is come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord strong in battle. And when he comes back, he is going to rule and reign in perfect righteousness with a rod of iron. And we get to rule and reign with him and see ultimate justice. And at that moment, it won't be against us because we are absolutely sinless and in resurrection bodies. We're going to see the justice. The sorrow, the pain, the suffering for us will be done. What do we have to do in the meantime? Endure. Be long-suffering. Be ye therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to study your word. Lord, thank you for letting me preach it.